Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. What's going on, everybody? Josh here. Before we get you ready for another edition of the Four Corners podcast, here this week's ad from DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. I love using DraftKings Sportsbook. It is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors like myself, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all the action. My friends and family have been loving DraftKings Sportsbook, and I know you will too. Listen to this great offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wagers are paid out in sight. Credits restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. The 11th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is Carolina Basketball. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Michigan out of timeout. And Weber, front court, Carolina thought he'd travel with it. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes a timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Now gets it away to Donald Williams, down the side to Stackhouse. Stackhouse streaking in on Park, reverse duck is good, and he gets fouled by Park. Oh my goodness, what a dunk! Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebound. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. Belton ready on his second attempt. That one is no good. A battle for it. Loose ball. Recovered Marvin. He scores. 72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champion. Matthews off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. From HeelToughBlog.com, this is the Four Corners Podcast, featuring your host, Josh Marlowe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. No news to talk about regarding Carolina basketball today. We are joined, or as we have a special guest for you, as Anthony and I had the chance to talk to former member of the Tar Heel Sports Network and current voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon. Mick, of course, announced he will be retiring at the end of the upcoming season for the Carolina Panthers. He's been doing that job since 2005, and he's ready to retire off to Alamance County, do some farm work, and spend some great time with his family. But before that, Anthony had a chance to talk to him about his time at Carolina. Here's our conversation with Mick Mixon. 
Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, as well as the Four Corners Podcast. Today, we are doing a dual episode of the podcast because we are talking to a guy that most of you guys probably know currently as the voice of the Carolina Panthers. He is getting ready to step away and retire at the end of this upcoming season, but he was also a guy that from 1989 to 2005 was part of the Tar Heel Sports Network. It is Mick Mixon who is stopping by with us, and first of all, Mick, uh, congratulations on the retirement, man. I know you're looking forward to uh, being able to get out there, enjoy some farm life after uh, this illustrious career that you've had. But uh, you know, I, I, I we talked to you a little bit about it. It's uh, it's got to be pretty humbling for you to be able to hear, you know, some of these people that uh, have been sharing some of their memories of you over this time uh, and the impact that you've made on their lives over the last 30 years. <laughs> Mike, I don't even have the words for any of this, Anthony. I um, I was caught very much by surprise by the article that Darren Gant wrote on Panthers.com. I thought, I mean, he sat down and we talked a little bit, of course, but I thought it was just going to be a little blurb about I've decided to uh, to retire at the end of this season. But he said so many nice things, and then some other people have, have chimed in. I'm sure there's the other side of it, too. One reason I don't go on the Internet, I, I've never Googled myself and never will, is because you can go out there and get your feelings hurt pretty quickly uh, if that's what you uh, – are looking to do but i just have always believed that what i wanted for my life was number one all i ever wanted to be was a sports broadcaster number two i didn't want to be one of those guys or girls that that overstayed i've oh i've been so fortunate i've had great jobs and i've loved every second of it but I've never wanted to be one of those cats that's, you know, you lose your fastball, you're trying to hang on, you're, you become this, this caricature of a sportscaster. I think it's just, just I just feel it. I, I have for several years now. I've been kind of planning this, and so I'm tremendously excited for this season. Not for anything that has anything to do with me, but the story is going to be the 2021 Carolina Panthers full stadiums training camp at Wofford, and I think this team's going to be a handful. Uh, so, yeah, you know, tell us how you got into the broadcasting field because, you know, you uh, you end up going to Carolina. You were, grew up in Chapel Hill. But what got you sort of that in, that broadcasting bug and made you want to get into the industry that uh, you've, you've pioneered in this, in this area for a while now? First thing I had to realize was that I was not going to be the starting quarterback. I was not going to be uh, the championship uh, point guard on the, the title team or any of that. And to realize that, I had to realize that my mother had smoked so many cigarettes and drank so much bourbon during my gestation that I was cheated out of the genetic material that was going to propel me to a great career on the field. And once I realized that, I was probably maybe 10 years old and, you know, my parents would pat me on the head and say, I'll oh, make you don't worry. You know, your father was a late bloomer, too. But I realized that there wasn't going to be really any blooming to speak of. So then I thought, well, how can I how can I be around sports? Because it was just an intoxicating idea to me that an athletic team, if you couldn't be on it, there had to be a way to get close enough to it where you could still tell the stories. And so ever since I was about 10 years old, I, I, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, and it's all I've ever thought about doing for a career. Hey, Mick, this is Josh, the co-host of the Heel Tough Blog podcast and then the host of the Four Corners podcast. As Anthony mentioned, you grew up in and around Chapel Hill, and you got to work with longtime UNC great Woody Durham. I want to know, what was your first impression, your first meeting with the legendary UNC sports broadcaster? 
Good hearing your voice, Josh. Thank you for your question. I knew of Woody before Woody knew about me. I, I was a kid growing up in Chapel Hill, and as I've said before also, I did not grow up in the Great Depression, but my father tried to simulate it at 2313 Honeysuckle Road. So when I was 15, I rode my bicycle down to WCHL Radio, flagship station on the Tar Heel Sports Network, and made an appointment with, I had made an appointment with Tom Taylor, who was the production director back then, the PD, like we used to call it, to try to get a job. And I was able to get a job running the board. And part of what I ran the board for was UNC Games. So I got to be the one to hit the button when Woody dramatically intoned, let's pause 10 seconds for station ID on the Tar Heel Sports Network. I was the one that hit the button, that played the ID, and sent it down the line to all the affiliated stations. Oh, man, I could not imagine a better gig. So there were a couple times that I, I crossed paths with Woody, and he seemed to be this mythical character back then. When I was a kid, Woody Lombardi-Durham seemed superhero like like he like he walked into the room with his knuckles dragging on the floor and you know crushed small children and animals and other broadcasters with each step he took i did not realize until later that there was a sensitive side to him and uh and just an amazing guy and miss him so much and i could fill a small book with what i learned from woody even when he wasn't really trying to teach me anything well, you were also alongside a guy that's had pretty good success himself, the guy who has taken over as the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel. You know, you guys were you know coming up around the same time. What do you kind of remember about Jones, and, and what is your relationship like today? Jones Angel, Monroe v. Jones Angel the Fourth is one of my best friends, and I'm much. Thank you for your comments, but I'm much older than Jones. <laughs> I was, teaching a journalism class in the School of Journalism at UNC. I did that for about eight or nine years. I taught a sports writing class and also a topics of sports journalism class at UNC. And this little kid, fresh-faced little kid from out of Jacksonville, North Carolina, shows up on the front row of my class. And I saw in him, and I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just going to tell you how I felt. I saw in him a younger uh, a little bit of a younger Mickey Mixon in this kid, just in terms of the enthusiasm he had, the way he asked questions of the speakers I brought in, the quality of his writing was very, very good. And so I reached out to him with my octopus-like tentacles and got him into the, into the queue as an intern. Because as you know, you guys both know, maybe you've been interns or you've hired some. You need those grunt workers to edit tape and to go get chicken and and pick you up at the airport and all those cool things. So I hired Jones as an intern, and he was unbelievable. I mean, he learned how to do the, use the digital editor. He was he ended up being the one, and this is a formula for success in life its own self. He made himself indispensable. He learned how to fix the coffee machine, fix the copier, fix the uh, the, the anything that went wrong. He he could learn how to use the digital editor and edit with. So you'd look around and go, well, this stuff's great, but who's going to edit it? I don't, I don't know. Well, Jones, here, you do it. And so I'm so proud of him and his many successes, and I cherish my relationship with him. We talk all the time. Mick, you mentioned that you learned a lot from Woody Durham without him maybe directly teaching you. His preparation is legendary, but what other lessons did you learn from Woody that you carried into the broadcast you did with him and then when you moved on and worked for the Carolina Panthers? I learned about journalistic balance, and – 
Woody believed that the game deserved to be called in a full, fair, accurate way, even though no State fan, no Duke fan, no Virginia fan, no Wake fan ever, nobody ever questioned Woody's loyalty. He was fiercely loyal to UNC and to the coaches and players. But he believed that you had to prepare just as hard for the enemy, for the opponent, and he believed that you, you that when the opponent did something good, when it was an exciting play, that that uh, that, that that deserved a high vocal register to describe that. Woody would sometimes get criticized for uh, being sounding too excited if Kenny Inge of NC State came in and dunked over Stackhouse, or if uh, if Duke. Uh, if Cherokee Parks made a great play, or if you know, you could do. It was a hundred examples. Woody would sometimes get criticized for calling touchdowns, big plays uh, from the opponent in an excited way, but he believed in doing it that way. And but of course, he saved his most exciting calls for when UNC did it. And I just thought that was so cool. I mean, he 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 respected the the faith and trust that people placed in him enough to where he tried to call the game in, in a way that if, even if you hated Carolina, even if you hated Woody and you hated his parents for having him and you hated their parents for having them, <laughs> you could still listen to the game and get the story. Well, Hey, you know, you were on campus. You come in uh, 1989 was your first year with the Tar Heel sports network. So a lot of your time on the football front overlapped with Mac Brown and, you know, he's trying to build Carolina back into, uh, you know, one of those teams that can be right on the outside of competing for a national championship. But that's where he was when he was there during that time. And then, of course, in 1997, he ends up leaving and going on to Texas. What do you remember about the mindset around Carolina football during that time? And, and was there a real thought on campus that this was a team that could challenge for national championships in the sport of football? Oh, yes, those were, oh, man, just halcyon days when Mac Brown had it going. And when he went in, when Mac Brown went into every high school in North Carolina, over 300 high schools, got an in-person visit from, um, from either Mac Brown or from a member of his staff. Now, remember, the prior staffs, the prior staff under Dick Crum had not, and let's see, who's the coach? Did Mac take, took over from Crum. Is that how the chronology went? Yeah, Mac took over from Crum, who took over from Bill Dooley. From Bill Dooley, right? So, so Bill Dooley understood recruiting. Dick Crum brought in a lot of good players, but and had some good teams. But somehow or another, the, the high school football coaches in the, in our state didn't seem to feel as warmly towards the Dick Crum staff. And so Mac Brown realized that, and he sent he sent people, even if they didn't have a prospect. So if you're out there at Black Mountain High School, and you and you hadn't won a game in three years, and you don't have a Division three guy on your team, you still got a visit from somebody from UNC saying, "Call me if you need me. Here's my card. We're, we want to make sure that the, the homegrown talent stays at home." So when Mac Brown, when the Tar Heels started to get talented and started to get good, this my, one of my favorite teams of college football teams of all time was the nineteen. 19- 90 Tar Heels that went 6-4-1. and one. That was a hard-earned, I mean, that was a tough football team. They had Georgia Tech, stoned Georgia Tech four times at about the one-yard line. 
this unbelievable goal line stand to tie the, the Yellow Jackets that would then go on and, and uh, share the national championship that year. And that was the foundation. That was a foundational team. And and it was I just was heart sick in, in when Mac Brown left. I understood why he might want to, and, and it turned out well for Coach Brown. And it's been great that he's back in, in Chapel Hill. But yeah, that was a uh, man. Just it's hard not. To, it was hard not to think back then of where Carolina football could have gone had he stayed. Well, after he left, Carolina did have a once in a generation type player, a guy that uh, you know was in you know multiple races uh, for the Heisman Trophy in his time on campus, and it was all while being a defensive end. That was, of course, Julius Peppers. He goes on after his illustrious career at Carolina and plays for the Carolina Panthers, and you got to call a lot of his time in Carolina. How cool was that overlap for you to be able to watch him like you did at the college level, call his games, and then to be able to move on to the NFL and be able to talk about him for years to come after that? I loved it, and I feel like I was not not the only one, but I feel like I was on to Julius early, and that is what I mean by that is I could see early on that he's smart and layered and sensitive and – but yet he's not comfortable with the, the adoration, with the spotlight, with the intrusive eye of the media and the public. And I'm, I even talked to him about it and have since then is saying, Julius, you, you know, you, um, there've been times when he was with the Panthers when I'd interview him and I would remind him, I said, okay, Julius, it's Mick. So I know, I know your tricks. So don't give me any of these one word answers. Don't give me, I don't want introspective Julius, and he would comply with that. I mean, I would have, I would ask him about song lyrics, songs he was listening to, books he had read, uh, beliefs he had about this issue or that. And I mean, it's un- unreal to hear him talk once he feels comfortable enough around you to deal himself out in a little more open way. In addition to his great play on, on the football field, he also was a very good basketball player. And we had a chance to talk to Matt Doherty a couple summers ago and said that if Julius wanted to play in the NBA, he could have. What do you remember about Julius Peppers, the basketball player, when he was on campus at Carolina? I'll never forget, as long as I live, we, uh, we're, at, we're at Buffalo. Somehow or another, the Tar Heels schedule a game at Buffalo. And you can imagine, it looked like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I mean, you just a snow, and you just expect Jack Nicholson to come out from around the tree and, and, and say, here's Johnny. And uh, it was just this gloomy theater up there. But late in the game, the Tar Heels had it in hand. So late in the game, Peppers comes off the bench. And there's a loose ball, tapped ahead. Pepper scoops it up and jumps from about, not the free throw line, but a little bit inside the free throw line. And and the ball cuffed in his left arm. And he rose up and he rose up and he rose up again. And he went, I mean, I guarantee, I bet you his, he almost hit his head on the rim. He's way up into the air. And I mean, boom, and he just jackhammered the ball into the goal and I I, I tried never to you don't want to out try to out Woody Woody you can't do it I tried very carefully when I was the color analyst to just do the color but I couldn't help myself in this moment and I went whoa and I just I yelled out with some sound and jumped up out of my chair unlike me very unlike me in those moments but just to see that bulk and that girth and that amount of what body weight spring that high into the air with that left-handed cuff dunk is incredible well, you look, you, you got a chance to call two national championships when he, when, when you were 
uh, with the Tar Heels. And, you know, both of them, I, I guess, were, you know, definitely special in their own different ways. Um, but, you know, what do you remember most about that 2005 one? Because I feel like that one was definitely a roller coaster ride from your guys' perspective just a couple of years earlier. You know, this was a program that a lot of people were kind of wondering what direction they were going in. You end up getting, uh, you know, Roy Williams to come back, and in two short years, he ends up winning the national championship. What do you remember about that night in St. Louis and that national championship banner uh, that Carolina earned that night? I remember that how that team had just the ball handling ability of that team that team could one through five that team could catch could pass could face could shoot there was nobody that you could play off of i mean you you pretty much had to you pretty much had to switch on all screens you pretty much had to get up on shooters uh which opened up some 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 duck and dish opportunities for that team because of how i mean sean may could 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 pick and pop. I mean, all of them could. They were just good basketball players. All of them were just good, just good basketball players. And uh, that team um, had that psychological hardness that you want to see in a championship team, and really kind of mirrored the combative spirit of of Coach Roy Williams in powering through the championship. One of my favorite Woody Durham calls is in that 2005 game against Duke where Marvin Williams gets the loose rebound and hits a bank shot and gets fouled, and the Dean Dome went absolutely crazy. Take us through that moment as you were sitting at that broadcast table beside Woody Durham and what you felt when he hit the bank shot to race a nine-point deficit and give Carolina that lead. Couldn't believe it. You start thinking, really, just a minute or two before, you start thinking, okay, well, how am I going to describe – How am I going? how's the post-game show going to sound – with with a, a loss here to to Duke, and it just looked like it had loss stamped all over it. And back then, we we did we sat at courtside. We had been we had broadcast for a few years in the Smith Center, up, up right under the concourse, up on the concourse level in a booth they had for us. But we'd moved down to the court, and the noise th- th- that was the loudest I ever heard the Smith Center, except one other time. You remember the game when Rodel coaxed in a three to bring the Tar Heels down from 20, I think it was 22 points against Florida State. Yes. I mean, that comeback and the Marvin Williams shot, those were about the two loudest times that I felt like I ever heard the Dome of Dean. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that was a, a, that was definitely a, a crazy moment. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at, at you know, overall your time on campus at Carolina uh you know are there any other memories that really stick out from you and what do you remember the most about your time there with all the different personalities that you got to uh you know meet and and work with during that time is there any others that really stick out uh from your time oh gosh I mean it was a I was there for 16 seasons so a big part of my uh, my life as growing up to, as a young kid in Chapel Hill and then working there for a decade and a half, it would take me, we don't have another, are not enough podcast minutes available, but just in a crucible, uh, I think that uh, I, I will never forget that I, I didn't know how to really be a color analyst. I had only done play by play. So I tried to educate myself in the rules of the sports. And so nobody really cares about this or maybe even knows about it, but you asked me, so I'm going to tell you. I went to the ACC football officiating clinic every year for 16 seasons. These officials welcomed me in, Courtney Mosey, 
Tommy Hunt, Ted Jackson, uh, Ernie Cage. I mean, there's their they're, they go their names go on and on and on. Uh, Joe Long. I mean, this was a Clark Gaston. This is an amazing group of men, and they. I was the only media that. And I, this was curious to me because I thought, why, why, why isn't everybody here? Why aren't color analysts for TV and radio all around the league? Why aren't this is great? I mean, you got to know college rules are different from high school rules, and they're different from pro rules. And so, to learn about the exceptions, to learn about the mechanics, the points of emphasis, the rule changes for each season, and it was always at a different ACC school. So I'd, I would go to fly down to Florida State or drive up to College Park, Maryland, and every. You know, in 16 seasons, visit every campus in a weekend in late July. And so just to be a, 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 to have that fraternity of guys welcome me in and let me learn, that's one of the things that I'll take from my time there that, that I'm so thankful for and, and, um, and proud of. Well, hey, it definitely paid off for you, Mick. You have had a tremendous career both at Carolina and here with the Carolina Panthers. We are looking forward to your final season. I know uh, over at WFNZ we'll talk to you multiple times throughout the year, but thanks for taking some time and talking to us here. We're uh, definitely not on the same level as WFNZ for sure, uh, but we're glad that you're able to give us a little bit of time here uh, to talk about your time in Chapel Hill. Well, the honor of this visit has been all mine, of course. And Josh and Anthony, thank you for uh, for, for ha- having me on for a few minutes. And I hope my uh, answers to your questions were, were worthy of the high standards of your show. <laughs> they were tremendous, man. <laughs> we're looking forward to uh, that final year. Enjoy the ride, man. And then uh, enjoy that time that you'll have after that up in Alamance County with you and uh, your, your beautiful family. All right, man? Yeah, my little shorty and me, man, we're going to be out there to live in some farm life. So, But you just call me if you need me. There you go. All right, All right Mick. All right, thanks, thanks so Mick. much, man. Okay, see you, bye. Some great Carolina story stories about Woody Durham, the former voice of the the, the Tar Heels, and the current voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, uh, who was a former intern and student under Mick Mixon. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, though, get you guys on the website, heeltoughblog.com, where we've got you covered all month long with great recruiting on both the football and the basketball front. You can check out all of our recruiting coverage. As the calendar turns to July, we will be getting you ready for the upcoming college football season where Carolina is going to be a preseason consensus top 10 team and a team that a lot of people will pick to uh, crash the college football playoff this season. So get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where you got you covered football and basketball-wise. And last week, we want to encourage you guys to um, get over to, uh, to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting network. Most notably, we're on Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn. We have moved our hosting site over from Spreaker to Megaphone, as we are a member of the Basketball Podcast Network. But we want you guys to review us, rate us. That way, people who haven't found the four corners podcast can find us but we want you guys to subscribe that way you get every great that way you get every episode and every great interview like this one we just did with mick mixon right there in your podcast library well once again i do want to thank mick for coming on to talk about his time in the broadcasting booth we want to thank you guys for listening and as always go tar heels